Good morning. Thank you, David. This is a story of the conversion of Saul or Paul. I'm going to call him Paul because that's what we know, know him as. I'm rather than switch back and forth between the two names. And in this story of Paul's conversion here in Acts 9, Paul saw a, a literal light from heaven. You do not need to see a literal flash of light from heaven to be saved. But something like that does have to happen in your heart. And the greatest problem of every unsaved person is that they do not see the glory of Christ. They do not see Jesus as brilliant, as glorious, as powerful, as a wonderful Savior who is Lord and God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They are blind to that heavenly light that manifests the glory of Christ. Paul was blind to that heavenly light, and then God shined that light into his life, upon his life, on the road to, to, to Damascus. But unbelievers, to unbelievers, they don't see the glory of Christ. They don't see that light. Christ is very ordinary to them. But a saved person, a genuinely saved person, does see the light of the glory of Christ. We, we have seen and we continue to behold his glory. And again, in that same passage, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So this light is an, is an inward revelation that God gives you in your heart and it illumines or illuminates the power and the wonder and the beauty and the glory, the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And you see him in his glory, in your heart, because, because of the heavenly light that God causes or makes to shine in your heart. So in this sense, we must all see the heavenly light, as Paul did on the road to Damascus. Paul had heard of Jesus. He knew things about Jesus, but he had never met Jesus. He had never seen him in his glory. He had never met the heavenly Jesus. He had never met the real Jesus. He had never met the d divine Jesus. He had never seen him as Lord. And this is the, the greatest need of every human heart. This is your greatest need. This is our greatest need. It is my greatest need. First, to see Jesus in his glory and then to live as people who continue to see the glory of Christ, to live as people who are presently right now continuing to behold or see the glory of Christ. I'm going to take just a little detour this morning, and the Spirit of God spoke to me so profoundly from this passage for my own life, and I just want to take a little rabbit trail here that... I, I think maybe more of a, of a prophetic spirit prompted message from this. It was for me and hopefully it is for you. 
God desires to give you and me an ever-increasing revelation of him. Paul's prayer for all believers in Ephesians chapter 1 is may God give you, give you believers, may he give you believers a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in your knowledge of him or so that you may know him more and more or so that you may know him more fully or better. These believers that Paul was praying for, they already had a revelation of Jesus, but he wanted more for them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled faces behold or we contemplate or we look at the Lord's glory. Yet, we can be so taken up, I can be so taken up with my own problems and issues. We can be taken up with our own agendas. We can get so emotionally involved in our concerns and our problems that we are in effect like the unbeliever blinded to the glory of Christ. But Hebrews tells us that in our trials, in our troubles, in our afflictions, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We are to behold him in his glory. And how many times my mind has been swirling with thoughts and fears and trying to figure things out, and then I see Jesus full of power, full of glory, full of grace. And suddenly everything is fixed. Everything is okay. Nothing has changed, but everything is all right. And I have peace. And in a very real sense, seeing him solves everything. And I ask you this morning, is is something, is anything blinding you to his glory? This morning is something keeping your eyes off of the heavenly light of Jesus Christ is something keeping your eyes off of him today. I urge you in the midst of your neediness, perhaps in the midst of your guilt and sin and shame, perhaps in the midst of some trial or problem in the midst of perhaps discouragement. I urge you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and ask God to give you a spirit of revelation in your knowledge of him. The, the old song that we sing, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. What's the next line? You all know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We're not only supposed to see the light of Jesus when we're saved, we're supposed to continue to see the light of Jesus as we walk with him. And I'm convinced that our greatest need, my greatest need, is is to see Christ, to get a fresh and greater vision of him. There there might be some here who, who need to see his glory for the first time. Maybe Jesus is just kind of ordinary to you. It's just kind of a ho-hum thing to talk about Jesus. That's got to change. You need to see Jesus. You need to see his glory this morning. Some here may need just just a fresh glimpse. As another old hymn says, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. 
One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. And that song is referring to seeing Christ fully face to face in heaven. And yet seeing him now with the eyes of your heart, as Paul prays that we would, seeing him now with the eyes of your heart has much the same effect. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. Now I want to dig into this story of Paul's conversion. That was just, that was just the message that, that the Spirit really put on my heart, mainly for me. And I hope for you. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The message is very plain. Those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will have eternal life. Those who do not will perish. If you believe, all condemnation is lifted. Those who do not believe, the scripture says, remain under condemnation. Therefore, nothing is more important than anyone's life. There is nothing that is more important for anyone here this morning than to to be converted to Jesus Christ. Conversion, the word conversion means that you change what you believe. Conversion means that you come to believe and trust in a very real living way in Jesus Christ. You see him as Lord and God and good and powerful and you believe in him. It is, a, it is a change of loyalty. Conversion is a change of loyalty. You, you used to be loyal to yourself, to your passions, to your pursuits, but now your loyalty is to Christ. Conversion is a change from an old life to a new life, a change from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is a change from being spiritually dead to being made alive in the Holy Spirit. And the story of Paul's conversion shows how this can happen to the very worst person of all. It shows how this can happen to the worst of us. If God would take a a bitter, hateful, cruel person like Paul, a complete enemy of Jesus Christ, and change him into a good and loving messenger of Christ, then he is willing to forgive you and transform you from whatever kind of a mess you have been into a servant of Jesus Christ. And looking back, Paul saw this as one of the main reasons that Christ chose him. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy... So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So this story of Paul's conversion, at least partly, is to encourage you to believe that God has immense patience and mercy for you, even in your sin And will save you no matter how deeply your life has been marred by sin. Every genuinely saved person has some kind of story of how they came to know and love Jesus Christ. It's not the same 
for any of us. Uh, Some of you may not know the day or the hour. You simply know that once you didn't care about the things of God, but now you do. Uh, Once you didn't love God, but now you do. Once you didn't see Jesus as good and wonderful and glorious, but now you do. Once you lived for yourself, but now your greatest passion is to live for him and to serve him. Others may recall a very specific time and moment and place that you had a dramatic encounter with Jesus and everything dramatically and suddenly changed like it did for Paul. There may be some here that lived for many years in rebellion and and immorality and all kinds of sin and and then God mercifully and radically saved you out of that, perhaps at a later age in life. Some of you were brought up in Christian homes where from your earliest years you heard the good news about Jesus. You heard about his love for you and his dying for your sins. And, and perhaps even at an early age you opened your heart to him and, and you wanted to please him. And, and you just didn't go through years or decades of, of blatant sin and rebellion. That, that doesn't mean that you don't have sins that need forgiven but just that that God saved you before you wandered into a prolonged lifestyle of sin. Well, Paul was about 30 years old when he met Jesus. And he had sinned greatly. He did did not sin. And everybody's sin is different. I mean, there's lots of varieties of sin. (laughs) Paul did not sin in the way that Gentiles typically sin, such as sexual immorality, drunkenness, and so forth. No, but his sin was even worse. He viciously abused Christ and Christ's people. He hated Jesus Christ. And he was consumed with hatred for those who followed Christ. His passion in life was to arrest, to imprison, and even execute Christians. And it didn't matter, Luke says, it didn't matter to Paul if they were men or women. He didn't care about homes and families. He destroyed them. He tore up lives and homes and marriages, ripping fathers and mothers away from each other and from their children. I mean, what a horrible thing. What horrible suffering Paul perpetrated against people and families and against believers. And yet Jesus Christ saved Paul out of his great sin. And that's what this story is about in this this chapter. And there's some things about Paul's conversion that are unique to him, but there's some things here for us to learn about conversion. And so that's what I want to look at today. And I've got I've got quite a few points and I, I know I just heard recently that a good message never has more than two or three points. So so I'm breaking that rule all to pieces. But what, what I'm going to do here is I want to cover several things that I think are really important. And then I'm going to let the Holy Spirit choose for each of you the two or three points that you need to hear. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 9. Yeah, Acts chapter 9, 1 through um, about, what was that, 19. Okay. All right, number one, regardless of how or when it happens, everyone needs a saving, transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't want anyone here this morning to unnecessarily question their salvation, but this is such an important matter. 
that even if there was only one person here, one child, one adult, one father, one mother, a teenager, even if there is one here who does not really know Jesus Christ, it would be worth spending all morning on this. But we all, every one of us, must answer the question, am I truly saved? Every one of us must answer the question, am I born again? You know, Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians and he said, examine yourselves, people. Examine yourselves. Does Jesus Christ really live in you? And it's something that it, from time to time, I'm not saying that we should be overly introspective if, we're, if we know for sure, but every one of us needs to face that question. Do I know Jesus Christ? Do I really know him? You know, personally, I went home after a Sunday, Sunday evening service. I felt very convicted. I felt very much my need. I was very driven to want to be, to be saved. And as, as a younger boy, I told my dad I wanted to receive Christ. Um, it wasn't something my dad prompted me with, but we knelt down together at the couch in our living room that Sunday night after church. And he led me in a prayer to invite Christ into my heart. Young or old. That's not the way it happens for probably most people. But young or old, little boy or grown-up man, a little girl, grown-up woman, no matter if you've been raised in a Christian home or the most ungodly, godless, non-Christian home, we all must come to Christ for salvation. Number two, it is God who takes the initiative in saving us. He calls you. God calls you. He reaches out to you. This is not the story of Paul seeking out Jesus. It is the story of Jesus seeking out Paul. Paul was on his way to carry out his business, his goals, his plans, his agenda. He was an enemy of Christ. And yet it says, the Lord told Ananias, Paul is my chosen instrument. I chose him, Jesus said. Jesus chooses and calls. You know, when Jesus walked along the the, uh, shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, he called out to, to John and Peter, He said, come, follow me. They were not thinking about anything but fishing. But when Jesus said, follow me, they left their fishing equipment right there and followed Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, have you heard Jesus saying to you, follow me? Have you heard the call of Jesus? He is calling to you, follow me. He did the same with Matthew. Matthew was a a tax uh, collector, sinful man, cheater, abusing people, taking their money, taking more than he should. As all Roman tax collectors did. And yet, Jesus came by and just said to Matthew, come, follow me. It all starts with Jesus calling, coming after you, choosing you. Yes, the Bible tells us we 
must respond. We repent of our sins. We believe in Christ. But behind it all and before it all, he is there calling you. He comes to you before you come to him. Jesus chose Paul. He chose you. It's a mystery. And in some ways, uh, or it's it's a mystery in some ways. And it can actually be a stumbling block to you if you try to figure out how that all works. (laughs) But it is God who comes after you. You know, some people say that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and will not force himself upon anyone. This story disproves that. <laughs> and actually, the, the song that we, we sang this morning, um, uh, the, old, the, the Reckless Love of God, I thought, well, this is a perfect example of God. I mean, God was reckless. I mean, he just, he just loved, his love knocked Paul off of his horse. The Lord knocked Paul to the ground and he humbled him to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. It didn't matter how, what, a, what a tough guy Paul was. It didn't matter how violent he was. It didn't, didn't matter how much he hated Jesus Christ. God interrupted his life. Paul's intent was to ruin the church. God's intent was to use Paul to build the church. Who won? God, God's plan won. Number three, Jesus Christ saves sinners, enemies, bad people. Jesus Christ died for our sins, not for, not for how good we were. So the, he, it, it, he died, the righteous, it says, for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ died for unrighteous people. Jesus saved Saul while he was, a, while he was, the, while he was spewing death threats against the Lord's disciples. I mean, you can't get any more opposed to Jesus than that, can you? He had official letters authorizing him to arrest Christians and drag them off to Jerusalem to to torture, to imprison, perhaps to put some of them to death. One big mistake that, that, that I make, we probably all make, is we tend to look at people and try to judge whether we think they are likely candidates for salvation or not. But God confounds, not, he confounds the world with what he does, but he often confounds the, the church with what he does. He often confounds believers with what he does and who he saves. After his conversion, Paul never got over the, the fact that Christ would save a person like him. He just, just lived in such incredible gratitude and and amazement that God would save him. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And then just down in that same passage, he looked back on his life and regarded himself, he said, as the chiefest or the worst of all sinners. And in 1 Corinthians 15.9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But if Jesus would save the worst of us, he can save any of us. And that's the message from this passage, from this conversion. Fourth, when we encounter the presence of Jesus, we become... When we encounter the presence of Jesus, when we really encounter the presence of Jesus, we become aware 
of how misguided and broken and sinful we have been. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know, Paul had no thought that he was actually, actually persecuting the Lord. He thought he was performing a duty for God. But the Lord had to show him that he had been engaged in this, this horrible sin of personally attacking Jesus Christ. You know, most people think they are basically doing good and most people see their way of life as the right way. They just do. I mean, the Bible says every, every, man, every man's way is right in his own eyes. It takes, it takes the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to cause people to see how desperately they need Jesus Christ. And it, it, is, it has always amazed me that even people whose, whose lives are in complete shambles because of terrible sin and terrible decisions so often are still not ready to receive the counsel of Jesus Christ and the gospel. But a real encounter with Jesus humbles us and it strips us of our self-righteousness. Jesus told Paul that he regards our abuses of others, especially of his his followers as abuses against him. And that was, that was the thing that brought Paul to his knees and made him aware of his sin. As he looked back, he realized that he was, had been a violent man, an aggressor, a persecutor, that he had, and that he had perpetrated this against the church and even against Jesus Christ himself. Fifth, an encounter with Christ is a supernatural encounter because Jesus Christ is a supernatural being. He is Lord. Many theologians in our generation have sought to reject the supernatural Jesus so that they may find the, the human or the real Jesus. But Paul met someone who is greater than any human being. He met someone who is greater than himself. He, he encountered someone outside the realm of natural human life. In meeting Jesus, he met God. Paul saw the light from heaven. He heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. It says the others traveling with Paul did not see the light, but they heard the voice. It's, I found it interesting that Luke emphasized the heavenly light or the light from heaven. Paul himself, when he recounts his testimony of this, he emphasized the fact that Jesus himself appeared to him and spoke to him. Again, I'm not suggesting that everyone must literally have a vision of Jesus or must literally hear his voice as Paul did, not at all. But nevertheless, as I said earlier, salvation is a matter of seeing the supernatural, the divine and glorious Jesus Christ. And then we begin to live in his supernatural strength and keep looking to him. Number six, genuine conversion profoundly affects your reverence for Christ and your awe of him. 
Paul said, I fell to the ground. Uh, Some assume he was riding a horse. Uh, Some say he was walking. Uh, But but either way, this encounter with Christ knocked him to the ground. Not, Not figuratively, but literally. He was on the ground. And it prompted this just this spontaneous response. Who are you, Lord? And when Paul related this Acts, or event in his own story in Acts 22, he said, Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, I'm going to show you what I want you to do. But this, this encounter with Jesus changed Paul from, from calling his own shots, from living his own life, from having his own agenda to acknowledging Jesus as Lord and wanting to know what he wanted him to do. Life as a believer in Jesus Christ is not not mostly telling God what you want him to do. It is mostly asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, it, it always worries me about someone's real, whether they have a real connection with God when they say things like, you know, God better come through for me on this or I am done with him. That's just not the kind of relationship that we have with God. We bow before him and we follow him as Lord no matter what life brings. The Lord told Paul that he would have, have, have privilege and honor in ministry. He said he would have the great honor of bringing his name, the name of the Lord, before Gentiles and before kings and before all of Israel. But he also told him that he would suffer a lot. The Lord told Ananias, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I don't know when the Lord showed him that, but the Lord told Ananias, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show Paul that. You know, and Paul did not say, well, if it's going to be hard, then I quit. You know, we accept the glory and the pain. We accept the honor and the dishonor. We accept the blessing and the suffering. We follow whatever he takes us through because we have seen him and he is the Lord. Seventh, soon after Paul's encounter with Christ, he was baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to make too much of this, but I don't want to make too little of it either. In almost, again, in almost every case in Acts, when someone or when some group of people are saved, they are baptized in water and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily in that order, as we've seen. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. All at once, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. And he got up and was baptized. Yes, I believe baptism in water and to be filled with the Holy Spirit are both really important for every believer. Eighth, the Lord leads other people to be involved in your salvation and to assist you on the way. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, but God normally uses other people to share the gospel with you, to call you to Christ, to baptize you, or to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
There's, there's no law about this, but it is simply normally the way we see God work. So allow yourself to be ministered to. Allow yourself to, uh, to, have, to let God use other people in your life to take you where you need to go spiritually. And secondly, come to Jesus or offer yourself to Jesus to be an instrument like Ananias in the conversion and the progress and the help of other people in their progress in the things of the Spirit. Verse 10, now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called out to him in a vision. Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord told him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And in the home of Judas, look for a man from Tarsus Tarsus named Saul. At this very moment, he's praying. He has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he would see again. You know, here Ananias is called a disciple. Uh, he's not called an apostle or prophet. He's not even called a leader or a teacher. Uh, but the Lord gave him very specific direction, told him to go to a certain street, to a certain house, gave him the name of a man named Saul that he was to look for. Uh, I always found that ex- extremely interesting how specific the Holy Spirit could be in giving that kind of direction. It's just, it kind of kind of opens opens your mind. Uh, and this is very similar to the Spirit speaking to Philip that we that we saw in last the, the chapter last week. The Holy Spirit uh, told Philip. The Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, "Go up and stand near that chariot." And of course, people's understanding of the Spirit's voice uh, can be abused and has been abused. Uh, and, and I don't generally, don't think God is generally telling you um, something like every second, like, you know, go to Casey's, not come and go, or buy A.E. Milk instead of this other, or whatever. But the Spirit can speak to you. The Spirit can and does speak to you, and this leading of the Spirit can be de- neglected or quenched through Unbelief, And I find it interesting that in these back-to-back stories of the Spirit speaking something very clearly to people, giving people specific guidance, both of them have to do or with being involved in someone's salvation. And I'm not saying that's on, the, not the only time the Holy Spirit can, speaks and guides and directs, but be aware especially how the Spirit may be speaking to you or leading you to be a part of someone coming to Christ or getting established in their walk with Christ. And my last point is this. The Holy Spirit, who is the one who is orchestrating all things for the benefit of the church. Paul's salvation story was seen as a work of the Spirit for the encouragement of the entire church. And I'm going to skip down and read verse 31, which isn't in our passage, but it's kind of the end of this whole story. And it says, so the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace. And it continued to be built up and to live in the fear of the Lord. It kept increasing in numbers through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. You know, how much do you think it encouraged these believers who had been under attack from this man. I mean, Paul was the chief persecutor to the church. 
And to go from having their, their homes torn apart by this man to, to gradually begin to see that God had saved him and how he was now becoming a proclaimer of Jesus and a defender of the church. It blessed the church. It built them up. God used this. It was, called, it was the encouragement of the Holy Spirit for the church. It was such an amazing turnaround that it brought joy to them. It amazed them and it encouraged them. It is the Holy Spirit who watches over the church and encourages the church. It is, it is the Holy Spirit that watches over this church, this body of people. And he knows what we need. And he brings us through different seasons, through different times or different experiences, but he's watching over us to encourage us. Just, he, just in your, as in your own life, The Lord appoints various seasons and experiences for you individually. Times where you need to grow, to be tested, to be encouraged. And he does that for the church. Well, once Paul saw this heavenly light, once he saw the glory of Jesus, he never took his eyes off of him. He looked at Jesus. He kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. For the rest of his life and he, he ran his race he finished his course by keeping his eyes continuing to behold the light of the glory of Jesus Christ and that's what we need to do too alright thank you so much for coming for listening and may the Lord bless you and just continue to use his word powerfully in your lives perhaps there's someone here this morning that, that, that needs that needs an encounter with Jesus for the very first time and maybe, maybe you think, well, I'd be embarrassed to admit that because I've been in, this church, been in this church or coming to this church for a long time. But maybe there's someone here that needs a real encounter with Jesus. Maybe you need to just get a fresh glimpse of him this morning to turn your eyes back on him and to start beholding his glory and get, get your heart and your mind and your eyes off of whatever it's been that's kept you from seeing Jesus as wonderful and glorious and powerful and big. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the glory of Jesus Christ. <laughs> May we see him more clearly. Lord, we ask, I ask for this church, just as Paul did for the church at Ephesus, I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we may know him more fully, that we may know him better and better. We pray in the name of Jesus. And if there's that one person here or more who need to have a genuine conversion experience, who, begin, who need to see Jesus as glorious and wonderful and precious, I pray that that would happen this morning, that they would lift up their eyes and turn to you. God, shine your light into that person's heart this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.